got my tea. I'm ready for this. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast with the host that keeps singing the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme in his head while working on this episode, the Raw Safari Podcast. You know the one, come on. Heroes in a half shell, turtle power, they're the world's most fearsome fight. Okay, okay, okay. That probably went a little too far. But I know at least a few of you have the next line running through your mind right now. You're welcome. And speaking of welcome, today I'm excited to welcome Kelly Courier to the podcast. Kelly works for the Turtle Survival Alliance, one of my all-time favorite conservation organizations. TSA does a lot of in-situ and ex-situ conservation in order to fulfill their mission of zero turtle extinctions in the 21st century. As many of you know, Turtles are the first animals I ever fell in love with, so I am extra excited about the work this incredible organization is doing to hit that goal. And as for Kelly? Well, Kelly is special. Almost a contradiction, really. Rarely have I met one person who is so at peace and secure in who she is, but at the same time, has a fire burning within her. She talks freely about her anger and her desire to fight battles for the animals she loves, all while staying totally calm and sincere. You'll hear what I mean in the interview, but trust me when I say that Kelly is the exact type of person who can save species, and maybe even the world. Quick note, don't forget to hit up patreon.com slash to support the pod, and make sure you're following at Rossafari on Insta and Facebook to see pictures, including many awesome turtle pics I've taken over the years and can't wait to share in honor of this episode. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Kelly Courier of the Turtle Survival Alliance. All right, how's that tea tasting? It's wonderful. Good. Little rose, little jasmine, you know. <laughs> nice. Very good. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to, to getting some of the tea about you as we chat here. Oh, bad <laughs> nice. joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. But all right. So why don't you start off by, by telling me who you are, where you work, and what you do there? My name is Kelly. Um, I'm a wanderer and a wanderer, and I work for the Turtle Survival Alliance. I work at their survival center in South Carolina, and I'm a turtle keeper. I love it. I love it so much. Um, For for my whole life, until just a few years ago, turtles were the only animal that I was madly in love with. And then red pandas snuck in and, and are up there, too. But Ooh, I adore. They'll steal your heart. Oh yeah, yeah it's it's a thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, since I was a little kid, I have always loved turtles so much. Um, I can relate to that. Same. I don't know why they just spoke to me when I was little, and then here I am. I love it. That's so cool. Um, so tell me about how you got to where you are. What what made you want to get into animals and conservation and all of that? Um, since since I was little, I've always been very 
um, taken by the idea of like what's happening to the world, what we're doing to all the animals and plants around us. That broke my heart when I was really little. And instead of just like continuing on in sadness, watching the world burn, <laughs> uh, it's it's become like what has fueled me. And since I was a young person, I'm just like, I need to do something about this. Like I want to help somebody or something and I want to help protect the earth. Like I want to fight for it. And that's always been a huge fire inside of me. And taking care of animals has become what I love and what I'm good at. So that love for taking care of animals uh, with my huge inspiration to fight for the planet and for endangered species just came together uh, to lead me to where I am right now, you know? that's awesome. That's so cool. And that's um, how it started. That that so what what became your like official path? Like did you did you get a degree in biology or something like that? You know? Yeah, I studied zoology in college, thinking like I want to help the world somehow. Like, and I love science, so I thought that I would go into medicine. I I thought I would go into medicine. I don't know human medicine or animal medicine, but I got a degree in zoology. And then I started a master's program, actually, in medical microbiology. And so I was like, micro, I want to help fight diseases. You know, I want to help people somehow. Um, Meanwhile, always doing animal things on the side. After doing, like, one semester of that master's program, I just, like, had this realization that this wasn't for me. This is the wrong thing. I'm doing okay, and I love science, but this isn't it. And so I just quit, and it was the hardest thing (laughs) to quit something that I'd worked so hard for. But I just quit, and I went home and tried to discover what was next. And uh, I applied for an internship at the Cincinnati Zoo because I thought I wanted to care for animals. I want to fight for them. That's, That's where my heart really is. And even when I first started there, I didn't know if I wanted to go and work for U.S. Fish and Wildlife or work for a zoo and those conservation projects. But once I got there and started working as an intern there, I was like, this is this is it. Like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And then uh, after that, I just took different jobs, uh, working on different projects that really meant something to me. It it was never like I was trying to build my resume to get somewhere special. I was just like, I want to do this work. I want to work to save this bird or I want to work at this wildlife hospital. And I just kept choosing those jobs. Um, and I ended up on this path of endangered species, like survival plans, you know, working to help a certain species bounce back or... I've worked in rehab quite a bit, so that's along the lines of fixing a, a direct problem with wild animals, you know. So that's how I got here. Uh, when I started at the zoo at Cincinnati Zoo, I did work with a lot of reptiles, and I was like, "Oh, this is I love working with reptiles." You know, I always loved turtles, but that's when I like got to truly care for a bunch of turtles and realize that they were my favorite. So they've always been interwoven into my story along the last five years of my career, I guess. That's really cool. So what exactly, what type of internship did you have at Cincinnati? I worked for the interpretive department. 
Um, so I got to work with a ton of different types of animals from all taxa. And that was a perfect place for me to start because I really got to see what it was like to work with keepers that were training, that were creating amazing habitats for all different types of animals. So all the keepers in that department are like a really cool mix and they helped me grow. They, they are the reason why I'm here. Honestly, they helped me grow. Well, that's just amazing. And, um, is that, is that how, you know, our mutual friend Colleen Adams then? That is how I know Colleen. She was my mentor there. And Amazing. I'm the luckiest person in the world to have been her student. <laughs> yeah, Colleen's great. Colleen not only has done two episodes and a Rasafari Live, but I think she gets mentioned in about two-thirds of the episodes. Now. I can only imagine. Everyone knows her. Everyone loves her. It's It's pretty fantastic. <laughs> I remember when I started my internship there and she was one of the keepers, obviously intimidating to me because of all her amazing experience and just how she carried herself. She was so good at what she did. But the first thing that I remember about her is looking at her and thinking, her eyes are magical. She has like magic eyes. They just sparkle. And her personality followed that as well. (laughs) And now I know her very well. And I think that's a funny memory to think back on before I even knew her. Her eyes are sparkling. That is really funny. I actually had a kind of similar experience. I was meeting her at the zoo um, to interview yeah. her the first time. And um, she walked up to me kind of, I was, I, we were like meeting uh, in the Africa area and she mm-hmm. walked up and I just heard this voice say, John. And I turned around and it was that same thing. Like I meet people all the time. I do all of mm-hmm. these interviews, you know, uh, just not really knowing the person too well or anything. And, um, and I turned around, it was that same thing of this moment of just like, oh, this is, this is going to be a good one. This is going to be special. And I was not wrong, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And I love, just like you said, I love that we've become like good friends and hung out in the real world. And yeah, this is special. People are special. She is. She's a special presence on the planet. I, I believe that fully. Very cool. So, um, as much fun as it is to talk about Colleen, let's talk about some of the animals that you took care of at Cincinnati. What what did you feel the most connected to? Uh, when I was there during my internship, I took care of a lot of birds, a lot of reptiles. Uh, I was very connected to the birds of prey. I loved working with them. And they lived outside, so their habitats were a little more natural, and I loved that. I was also really connected with the reptiles because I'd never gotten to work with so many snakes and turtles. And I'd never, I never felt fear about reptiles. I was always just like in awe. I wanted to hang out in the reptile room all the time. Also, it was like tropical feeling in there. And that's, that's where I'm most happy and comfortable (laughs) in that like heat and high humidity. So I loved hanging out with the reptiles. Definitely. Very cool. And, you know, I'm going to take a moment here to just point out, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, A lot of people, even animal people, are like, Mm -hmm. okay, reptiles are scary, or even reptiles are cool, but they're all the same, whatever. But um, I have a pet turtle and a pet snake and a pet leopard gecko, and I can tell you they have really different and unique personalities, not just like species to species, but animal to animal they are they're very complex and very oh, cool 100%. and very fun so so tell me about maybe some of your favorite personalities when you were working with those reptiles uh back at Cincy. 
Oh, that's a good one. I I agree with that. And I think it takes like just a little bit of patience to notice a reptile's personality. And some people don't have that. They just want to run by it and, you know, not take the moment to look. But it just takes that person just waiting a second and getting to really see. But uh, some of the animals that I remember connecting with, we had a couple of snakes that I would love going in and servicing their enclosures because they would be at attention, you know, like they would be at attention and wanting to see what I was doing in their enclosure, like never aggressive or anything, but just always wanting to see. And sometimes they were jerky and sometimes they'd run away and be shy, but always come back. I know. And then um, the spotted turtles that we had, I really loved because they had aquatic tanks and they were always hiding and like, exploring in there every time i put in something new they were like what is it how can i hide under it (laughs) you know there's just the curiosity amongst aquatic turtles was something i really got to experience for the first time there and i loved that but very cool and so um i know that you took a, a kind of winding journey um but you worked at the san diego zoo for a little while right i did yeah what, what did you do there that was a wild adventure. Um, I worked for San Diego Zoo Global. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You just you have <laughs> you have the calmest, most peaceful voice, and you just know <laughs> that was a wild adventure. <laughs> That's dead right now. <laughs> this is me, John. I have a lot of energy and inspiration and a lot of words, but I'm almost always calm. <laughs> I mean, that's so. that's a beautiful thing. And I think a life living for something that you believe in so much probably helps with that, you know? Yeah, it Al- does. Also sipping that, that calm, nice tea, but you know. Yes, 100%. <laughs> it would take a whole three-hour podcast to tell you about that wild adventure that was San Diego Zoo. But <laughs> I worked for San Diego Zoo Global Um, I was a seasonal keeper, temporary keeper for a certain project, like a field project they were doing. So I worked for the zoo and I did some stuff at the Central Zoo, but I was based on an island that was 60 miles off the coast of Los Angeles. So I had to uh, take a plane to get to where I lived and worked. (laughs) Oh man, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, so I lived... What were you doing there? I was working for the San Clemente loggerhead shrike, so like a little ferocious bird. San Clemente loggerhead shrike captive breeding and release program. So we were out on this island that was mostly a Navy base, a super secret island where they train Navy SEALs and other things. But there's a bird out there that's very special, San Clemente loggerhead shrike. And it was years ago, nearing extinction. So they started a breeding and release program for it. And I was one of the temporary keepers out there. So we had a flock under our care and giant aviaries on this island. And every spring, we would pair them up differently or with the same mates or whatever. They would raise babies and we would give them all the things they need to raise wild babies. And then... Uh, in the summertime, we would release the babies into the wild to be part of the wild population to help boost it and help them 
get back to filling their natural ecological role on that island, you know? Yeah, it was amazing. amazing. That's so cool. I love that. Um, I'm curious, did you ever have to do any of the, like, I know that with the Condor program, they have to Mm -hmm. do the the, um, puppets and stuff like that. Did you ever have to do anything goofy because it was a reintroduction program or anything just like that made life a little bit harder or more entertaining? That's an interesting point. We did have some puppets for whenever we might have to hand feed babies, but we never did. We were so, it was so important to us that the parents raised the babies, you know? We would try our hardest to not interfere at all costs because we want these babies to be wild and they turn out the best when the parents raise them. So we never had to do the, use the puppets or anything. But the lengths I went to to give the parents everything they needed during breeding season, like literally hiking down into cactus-filled canyons to get to this one plant that the bird liked to build their nest out of, cutting the plant, putting it in my backpack, hiking back up the mountain, literally falling into cactuses just to bring them, (laughs) just to bring the birds these clippings of plants so that they can build their nest out of this very decadent, beautiful, whatever they wanted to do. So, uh, yeah, I went through some pain to give the birds everything they needed i also uh, had to catch a lot of insects to help the babies practice hunting which was great catch a lot of wild insects throw them in with the juveniles before they got released and they would practice hunting them very cool that's really cool that was fun yeah (laughs) wow all right that's uh you've you've had quite the adventurous little life haven't you yeah i think so (laughs) (laughs) i mean like i said i'm just chasing these projects that mean something to me and that make me feel like I'm helping somebody somewhere, some species somewhere. And that's why I'm doing it, but it's taken me to some crazy, beautiful places and I'm definitely thankful. That's amazing. Um, and I, I get the, the life of the, you know, constantly moving, constantly changing person. I, I am a touring musician and, uh, you know, it changes constantly, but I'm curious, um, what impact does all of this lifestyle have on the rest of your life? Yeah, that's a good question because I am always moving to different states. In the past five years, at least, I've been always moving around away from my family, sometimes leaving all of my friends to be off the coast of California. And I'm actually a really relationship centered person and tend to the side of extroverted where I get tons of energy from my people that I love. So that is, it is kind of not conducive to the lifestyle that I lead with my career, but I've definitely found a way to keep connected with people. Like, thank God for phones. Thank God for my iPhone because I don't know. Everyone else uh, talks about their technology. Like I wish I didn't have it. It just, stresses me out you know but I'm like so thankful for FaceTime so thankful for phone calls um it has taken a toll I haven't got to spend as much time with my family as I want you know and but I just find ways like when I lived in Florida I would fly home every month to be with my mom and sister and dad and brother and I just I just always fight to keep my relationships alive you know just as much as I'm fighting for the planet and that balance has really 
it's done well for me. Well, that's great that you're able to find that balance. And I am so with you. Um, Technology makes touring just still doable. You know, I think about people who used to have to um, hop on a a payphone and and make a call. Yeah. No, 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 no. I I know. It's tough. Yeah. No, I'm a big fan. We're the luckiest. Yeah, some some of our mutual friends have uh, have have a little bit of rage at their phones sometimes, and I'm always like, "Well, <laughs> I hear you, but for me, I right I same it. It keeps, keeps things going." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you, but it helps me a lot. I get so much energy from my people. I also get so much fulfillment and energy from living out in the wild and being really remote. So, just as long as I can find Wi-Fi here and there, I'm yeah, good. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> So, yeah. um, so let's talk about the Turtle <laughs> Survival Alliance because um, I, I just think that that y'all do some amazing work, um, right? <laughs> so I, I feel like not a ton of people know about this group, though. So, can yeah. you give the listeners a little bit of an intro? Yeah, um, just wanting to say that I'm very new to the Turtle Survival Alliance. I've worked here for a month, but I've been a fan of them for a long time, and it's been my dream to work here forever. But the Turtle Survival Alliance is an organization that is dedicated to protecting turtle diversity. You know, zero turtle extinctions is their is their goal. And so they have survival centers all across the world, I think in five or six different places, one being here in South Carolina of the U.S. And uh, they also sponsor a lot of field turtle conservation programs. So across the Southeast, across the world even, they get in touch with people in the field that are trying to fight for these endangered species and protect their habitats and help them do it, you know? Here in South Carolina at our Turtle Survival Center, we are like at other survival centers, which there aren't that many in the world, but uh, we have some of the most endangered turtle species in the world here that we're taking care of, giving beautiful natural habitats, um, fostering them to have successful breeding seasons, lay eggs, make more of these turtles. And uh, the hope is to put some back in the wild whenever we can, whenever they have enough habitat in different spaces. But with turtle conservation, it's kind of like you're playing the long game. It's not like birds that only live eight years where you can just throw birds back out into the wild and hope that they keep procreating because it goes so quickly, but turtles will live a hundred years and their habitat is so diminished right now. So you might have to wait for like society to catch up, you know, before you can make any moves in the wild. But yeah, we have 25 different species here in South Carolina and they're pretty amazing. (laughs) That's so awesome. So I, I've known about TSA for a while and, and have, uh, definitely been a fan, but I did not know that they have this actual um, building, I, I, you know, with with turtles in it. And yeah. um, I found that out when I was started talking to you. And I, I yeah. need to go to there. 
<laughs> I very badly want to come and visit this place. It seems like it's incredible. Yes. Yes. Uh, it is a private facility. So the public doesn't come, but we do. I know outside of COVID times, we do have tours, private tours under different circumstances. But we have multiple buildings, some of which are complete buildings, some of which are greenhouses for the tropical turtles, some of which, some of which are completely outdoors, um, like little forest type enclosures. Yeah, with little ponds and flowing streams and yeah so we have i think about seven buildings on our grounds or seven animal areas and just try to build them the most natural habitat that they can here but yes you should definitely come visit when we're open back up for visitors it's a pretty amazing place i'm so excited i'm so excited (laughs) so tell me about like I, i get that you're a turtle keeper but what exactly does your day look like what does that look like for you Right. Uh, Well, we have our grounds with all of our turtle enclosures, all different. And for anywhere from hatchlings to huge ponds to, you know, like I was saying. So every day I go in and I have to check on every single enclosure. So I walk around and check on the 400 or so. I don't even know how many turtle enclosures that we have and just look at them. Right now, many of them are asleep for the winter and buried. So I'm just looking to make sure everything's okay in the morning. And then uh, we feed them a couple of times a week right now. The the collection that is not in brumation or hibernation, we feed them. So today I went in, checked on everyone, walked around all the grounds, and then we started making the diets for the collection, which took about an hour So produce chopping, making all these perfect diets, walking around, feeding out everyone, coming back, cleaning up, and then checking in with coworkers, going to lunch. Feeding takes half the day here because we have so many animals and only a few staff. And then in the afternoons, um, we usually work on different projects that need to be done. Like right now, we're building a new small enclosure building, I guess insulating it, building little infrastructure inside. So there's construction involved. Usually uh, we have a ton of water systems to facilitate all of our turtle little ponds, like hundreds of water systems and tubs with water to take care of. So that makes for a lot of part fixing, you know, a lot of engineering in little ways. So my day is husbandry, and then it's also um, fixing life support systems, like water systems, working on construction-type things, and doing maintenance on things, because we don't have a maintenance team like a zoo. We don't have a housekeeping team, an aquatics team. Like, we are all the teams, you know? Right, right. <laughs> Me, me and my one or two other coworkers. We are all wow. of those things. So just depends on what needs to be done. All We take care of a lot of plants too. So, Did you expect that going in that like one day you might have to be an engineer and the next day you might have to be a construction <laughs> worker? And like, yeah, also you get some turtle time, but you know. Yeah, um, that has become my dream, like my thing that I wanted. I wanted to be an animal keeper, but I wanted to have 
the extra challenge of the water systems and having to maintain grounds and all of that, all that entails that, you know, I love husbandry and I just love having that extra challenge of like the facilities type thing as well. So, so basically your attitude was, Hey, saving the world isn't hard enough. So, so <laughs> let me just see what else I can add to this. Yeah, I can figure out how to hammer whatever. Right. Absolutely. It's so fun for me. I, I love having a challenge in the day, like taking care of animals. Yes, it's a challenge, but I love having that extra like math and physics challenge that I'm a little bit uncomfortable with. That's just like something that spices up my day and solving problems. You know, I love that. (laughs) So I wanted that. Very cool. That's very cool. Um, you mentioned uh, brumation and hibernation, and um, mm-hmm. to to my very non-educated uh, mind, I always thought that brumation was just the term for hibernation when it's with cold-blooded creatures because they'll wake up when it's warm and do stuff. Am I am I yeah. right in saying that, or is there more to it? Um, yeah, yeah, you're you're right in saying that. People use them interchangeably, but when it comes to reptiles and uh, ectotherms, they they use the word brumation usually. Yeah, okay. but I you're just, right. I just wanted to make sure. Um, yeah, it's it's good. You are absolutely things. right. Ooh, go job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> cool. Very cool. Um. So what? Uh, what's your favorite species to work with there? And don't worry, I promise the turtles don't listen to the podcast. So you can <laughs> you can be open and honest here. What if they do? <laughs> what if? Um. That's a hard question because I'm just getting to know all of these species. You know, I. Most of them I've never worked with before, but the we have some that are called Chelidina macordi. That is their um, Latin name. And they're the roadie snake neck turtle. Yes, I love them. Yeah, they have such personalities. They're like little puppies, honestly. <laughs> like they're the golden retrievers of all of the little turtles here. They're just funny because they have a lot of energy and they chase you down because they think you're going to have food. That's one that caught my attention first. Um, And then another one that I love so much is the um, McCord's box turtle or Cora McCordi. That's its Latin name. And they are, they just have a very shy personality and they're always hiding from me. Always. But I love that. I love their personality because of that. And they're they're just little gems. When you do find them, they're just like sparkling, you know? They are so they're, beautiful. Yeah. They're like, they're brown, but they have different colored skin. And I mostly see the hatchlings. So maybe that's why they've caught my eye. But something about just a little brown animal that likes to blend in is what I love. <laughs> there, There is an exhibit of McCord's box turtles at the National Zoo in D.C. Oh, wow. And it is awesome. But I cannot tell you how many times I will be sitting there watching like four or five of them. And people yeah. will walk up, stare at it and go, oh, nothing in here. And walk away. It's oh my amazing. Or like they'll be like, oh, look, look, honey, there's one turtle in there. And I'm like, and that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. But oh, um, you know, isn't that hilarious? Spends... Oh, it's so funny. I, I found out, I read recently, I forget where, but it was a, it was a, a, a real source um, mm-hmm. that on average, um, a person spends 17 seconds at any exhibit when they're at a zoo. Oh. 
And that is such a small amount of time. um, And and it means that you miss a lot of things. And I think the McCords just blend in so well. And it's a Mm -hmm. nice big natural exhibit. But I mean, you can find the turtles if you look. Mm -hmm. But people just Mm -hmm. don't take the time. They walk up and they go, oh, nothing here. It's supposed to be some kind of turtle or something. Whatever. Let's go see the next Mm. one. And I'm like, oh, but they're so cool. <laughs> yes. I think it's so great to just sit in front of an exhibit like that. And not only do you get to see a lot of the behaviors from the animal, but you get to see like all the people that just pass it by or what people say, you know, you get oh, the yeah. full experience yeah. if you just sit there and observe. I, I have a um, kind of a thing in my life that some of my, my, my good friends know about uh, where I talk about red panda magic. And nice. what I'm referring to is not just the the feels that I have when I'm spending time with red pandas, but I'm referring to the fact that a heck of a lot of good things in my life have happened over the last couple of years as I've been sitting at a red panda exhibit. Um, wow. Offers for gigs, offers for tours. Uh, oh my god! Like like so many things have happened, and it's it's while I'm sitting there and just you know cool stuff involving my folks or whatever, just amazing thing after amazing thing and i'm always like see it's red panda magic and what i've come to realize is i mean realistically what happens is i go to a zoo for four hours and i sit in front of the red pandas for three of them and it's uh while you know normal business hours are happening so of course those emails are coming (laughs) so statistically speaking there is a good chance that i'm going to get something good to happen while i'm sitting in front of a red panda (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I totally believe that, though. That I red panda magic. I know, right? I love that. <laughs> because you're like, I'm going to sit here and do something that I love, even if it's just me sitting still while the rest of the world is bustling. Like, I'm going to give myself this, you know? Yeah, no. 100%. And good things come to you good because you give yourself that time. Yep. I, 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 I say that, you know, scientifically it makes sense or whatever, but... Also, it really doesn't. It's the coolest thing ever. And right? I'm, I, I, I can't really deny it, even though this is a science podcast, so I should. But there, there's oh, something to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I mean, I'm a scientist. I've been educated as one, but I totally believe in the magic, too. You know, <laughs> I believe in the magic of the world and the universe, and it all comes together. So how does that uh, impact your career, your your sense of, of magic or wonder or just yeah. passion? It impacts my career a lot because my giant sense of wonder is just with me every day. And so even things that might seem mundane or gross or hard work every day in my job and all of my jobs, like I see the bigger picture in it and... The sparkle stays alive, you know, like this, the spark, the inspiration, the sense of wonder, it stays alive in all the things that I do. So it makes my days happy. You know, I can see the bigger picture. I can see the bigger picture of what I'm doing pretty much every day because of my sense of wonder. You know, I don't know. I've always had the like microscope ability to be able to zoom in really close. My sense of wonder takes over and that leaf that falls from the tree just like takes my breath away. And I can also zoom out super big to see that I'm a worker, a worker bee fighting to save turtles because I want to protect biodiversity, you know? (laughs) So that's my sense of wonder. It like 
it keeps me able to have that microscope ability to zoom in, zoom out, and like keep the big picture, you know, within me. But that's awesome. Did I answer your question? Yes, you did. A hundred percent. I don't know. No, not only did you, but you've given me a follow-up question. Um, okay. I was just talking recently to uh, another person about this and, um, you know, the hardest thing about conservation is that it has to start with a negative story. You yeah. don't need to conserve the things that are doing well. Um, right. You know, exactly. yeah. And um, so how do you stay positive in a world that that you're in a literal industry that is based on negative stuff happening yeah um how do i stay positive like i said my heart was broken as a young child literally four to six years old my heart was shattered by what's happening to species going extinct trees being cut down and after that something just happened inside me to say, like, I have to do something about this. I really think that it's because of my family. Like, my mom, she was so, she was such a fighter for the downtrodden, the underdog, and I watched that growing up, and she gave all of that inspiration and love to me every day. And she she helped me realize that, you're here for a reason, you know, find out what it is. And once I, once my little heart was broken by the world burning and I realized I was here for a reason, I, I like kept that, I kept that thought in my head. You're here for a reason. You're here to fight. And so I'm here to, I'm here to fight. That's how I stay positive because I just, that hope that like, I'm here to fight and I'm here to make things better. That's what I'm here for. That's that's what keeps me positive. Because if I'm not fighting, who's going to do it? You know, <laughs> if I'm not fighting for the planet, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing here? But I stay positive because if I'm not positive, like I can't help anyone else. You know, if I'm not positive, I can't go above and beyond to help these turtles or to help that person that needs a smile or a hug, you know, I'm just, I don't know. I just have this optimism in me to try. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by it, by the negativity? And if so, what do you do in that moment? Yeah, I do sometimes feel overwhelmed by it. I was more overwhelmed when I was younger and I was like, what do I do? But naturally I, I'm prone to being sad. Like I could fall into being sad easily. So I've built a lot of coping mechanisms to lift myself back up. Because like I said, if I'm sad and if I'm discouraged, I can't help the world. And that's what I'm here to do, you know? So I cope in different ways. Like I think about the people that love me or I think about the things that I find beautiful in the world and that reminds me of why I need to fight for it, you know? So those little coping mechanisms like going outside, breathing in the air from the trees, and then remembering, like, why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's what picks me back up when I get overwhelmed. But, yeah, probably, I mean, once a day I'm slightly overwhelmed for a second. 
of all the people in the world and all the animals that need help and all of the things that need done. But I just, I'm one person and I need to figure out a way to help in the fight. And if, if I want to help, I can't, I can't be too overwhelmed. In my mind, I said, you can't be too overwhelmed, Kelly, or else how can you keep doing what you're doing? You know, everyone has to do their part and I'm focused on doing my part. I guess See, I want to clearly be- you clearly are. Yeah. That, was, that would, that's one of those answers that those exact words delivered insincerely would sound like the most rote practiced answer ever, but it was yeah. so obvious that you were so authentic and not just in your voice, but looking at you saying it, like you really have figured out how to make this work for you and to, to fight through the, the tough. And that's really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply impressed by that. That's very cool. Thank you. Yeah. That's sweet. It's taken a lot of work for my own self, but I'm here. Self-work is a is a wonderful thing, you know? Yeah. And no, I, yeah. I get it. I, I started this podcast with, I don't know what the heck I was doing. I was starting a podcast, um, you know, but it's turned yeah. into a really cool conservation education thing. And it has lit a fire in me that is just yes. burning so much more to, to save animals and the planet and, and all the things. And um, it's going so much better than it should have been in, in six months. Um, as, as That's how you know that it's right. Right, exactly. <laughs> but even then, there are mornings when I wake up and I'm like, nothing you're doing matters, bah. But I am yeah. a genuinely mostly positive person. And so I mm-hmm. find that I'm able to, to cut through it. But I was, I was curious to, yeah. to get your take on it. I also think drumming helps me a lot because yes. the fact that I get to hit stuff really hard, it makes it a little bit easier to not be too, uh, you know, frustrated. Right. <laughs> it doesn't build I think up that's, as much. <laughs> I totally feel that. That's that's a wonderful coping thing too. And just obviously you find joy in it, but I definitely run for the same reason and go outside and run. Just like get that energy out, use these legs, you know? <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. So what's the plan? You sticking around at TSA for a while, you think, or, or, you know, is this just one step in, in the many that you want to do? What What's next for Kelly? I think that hopefully, <laughs> I think I could stay here and do this work forever. Like this is what my career has been coming to, you know, working for a species survival center, working for an organization that's fighting for turtle conservation and the work that I do every day, I love it. I, I really love it. Um, I think I this has been my dream for a while to work for this organization. And I got, I got that dream from doing all the things that I did before this. So every step before this def- taught me a lot, inspired me a lot, and told me that I wanted to be exactly here. So I imagine I'll be here for a while, which is a new thing for me. Um, usually I'm temporary. You know, I'm only there for a year or something, but here I feel like it's where I'm supposed to be. (laughs) I feel like I belong here. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. That's so cool. Um, We'll see, though. No, my dreams and uh, my dreams and inspirations grow with every person I meet, you know? Of course. And I I promise that this uh, podcast cannot be used against you to make you stay in your job, you know? (laughs) No worries. No worries. (laughs) 
Um, Life moves as it's supposed to move, you know? Yes. So I'm just here for the ride. That's awesome. Um, ah, yeah, so I want to shine a little more light on what TSA is doing um, beyond just the center that you're working at. Um, mm-hmm. do you, do you have, I know you're kind of new here and everything, but mm-hmm. do, do you have any thoughts or can you share anything about the, uh, worldwide stuff that Turtle Survival Alliance is doing? Yeah. Uh, a couple of things that have been going on in the past couple of years in other countries are, uh, finding, finding out about big confiscations so people will have a ton of these super endangered turtles like thousands that they're not supposed to have that they're these turtles are supposed to be in the wild anyway the government finds these huge numbers of turtles and confiscates them and they're usually in super poor condition really bad health so when that happens people somehow usually call the tsa and say we have 10,000, you know, Burmese star tortoises. They need a place to be. And like, they, you know, they need to get nursed back to health. They need proper care. And so we send people from here at the center, from all over, from zoos all over the country to, to these places, like in Madagascar, in Myanmar, in Cambodia. And uh, our people like help build infrastructure to keep these turtles safe and to nurse them back to health. So a couple of things like that have happened in the past couple of years and the stuff that TSA has done to create like housing and habitat for these turtles or even try to get them back into the wild protected is just amazing. And it just happens at the last second. Like you never know when big confiscations or finding big populations of endangered turtles are going to happen that need help, but they always send people. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, Were you guys involved in the 20, I want to say 2018. um, I think it was a house in Madagascar that they found literally 10,000 star tortoises. Were you guys involved with that? Yeah, definitely. Those pictures destroyed me. I know. It's insane. The coworkers that are teaching me now, my teachers, they went over and did work there. They like built everything that's there with the help of other people. And I know that there's, there are people that work there full time now taking care of those turtles and their enclosures and things. Please tell your coworkers from the bottom of my heart, thank you, because that story I will. meant just seeing the the amazing efforts going into saving those tortoises. I mean, I was crying when I saw those photos, and I'm not a crier often, and yeah. I see a lot of this stuff, and yeah, that just yeah. So please right? tell them tell them that some random podcaster in Pennsylvania adores them. <laughs> I will. I will. I know the people that I work with are the ones that took action and like were the leaders of fixing that problem. So imagine me starting to work here and like learning from them. It's inspiring and amazing. They hardly know how amazing they are. (laughs) Truly. That is so cool. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious. I know that you guys do turtle breeding at, at your center. 
Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, on the podcast, we've talked a lot about the AZA, SSP, and genetic diversity mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. How much do you guys have to pay attention to individual genetics with the populations that you're breeding? And how do you go about doing that? Yeah, uh, we take it as as seriously as we possibly can. And I know we just got a big, like, genetic and analysis back on one species, nigricans. And we were looking at all of the different, I don't know, parentage of everything and making sure the stud books were lining up. But we take it very seriously. And I know that there are some master's students that are that have looked at our populations before and analyzed our genetics. But since some of the turtle species that we have are literally so endangered that some are even functionally extinct, meaning that functionally extinct in the wild, meaning that their population will probably not grow without like, it just won't grow. There's not enough out there or they're not found in the wild at all. Since we are dealing with that in our different species, we take it very seriously. We try to make the genes as diverse as possible. Our director is in charge of that here at the center. And I know that we work with other genetics professionals across different zoos and universities to help us do that. It's hard, but they are trying to do that for every species that we have. Keep the stud book, you know, like look at genetics now that we can analyze genetics easier and make sure we keep mixing it up. We don't want any inbreeding. We want to like give these species a future potentially, even if it is in 50 years on the road, when they go back to the wild, like we want it to be sustainable so that they can keep going without us. (laughs) That's awesome. Very very cool. Um, So what can the average human being who isn't super smart or working at a center in South Carolina do to help with turtle conservation? Oh, man. That's a hard question. You could do so much. I mean, making making the land that you own um, as, as friendly to wildlife as possible for the turtles in your backyard. I think that's something that the average person can do. Like, turtles love places to hide. They love plants bushes to hide under leaf piles you know like so keeping some of your your land around your house or wherever you can wild for turtles to travel through and pick places to nest i think that's really important that's really important for many wild animals like creating a little wildlife corridor if you will like safe places for them to travel wherever they want um I think that's an easy thing you could do. I know everyone likes their lawns and everything to look so beautiful and manicured, but if you leave a little bit of wild spaces, it will benefit everything around your house. You know, like all the plants, all the pollinators. If you if you let the diversity flourish even just a little bit, it benefits everything. <laughs> So that's how you could help turtles around where you live because turtles are everywhere, you know, but other things, I mean, just being a sustainable human being and trying not to use so much plastic and trying to spend money 
um, with organizations that help wildlife, you know, to offset your carbon footprint. Personally, I like the smaller example of just doing things in your own yard because it seems more feasible, but uh, there's so much you could do, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I know. It's it's every little step you can take. Um, cutting the, the rings of a, a six-pack if you get six-pack rings and right. trying not to do that and recycling and... Um, yeah, no, there, yeah. there's lots of things that we can do for the world, and taking just a few of those steps uh, goes a long way. Um, I know. Looking it. into and supporting your local zoo or wildlife hospital, like, literally all of them are doing something to help speaking reptiles of, here and across the world. Speaking of supporting, do you know the fun little fact about Turtle Survival Alliance and donations that go to it? The fun fact? Yeah. Is this a quiz? It is, except I'm going to answer it for you. So when I was doing some research on this, I found out that most places, you know, when you donate money, it goes to Uh all kinds of stuff, including conservation, but also marketing and paying salaries and stuff, which is, by the way, very important because Mm -hmm. if there wasn't a salary, someone like you couldn't, you know, work there Mm -hmm. and be awesome and save turtles. That said, um, the way TSA has it all set up with their board and some investors and stuff... Right now, every donation that you make, 100% goes into the conservation of turtles. That's amazing. That's so rare. Even for amazing charities, 100% is incredibly rare. Yeah. Yeah. So anyone who's got a a couple of bucks laying around and they want to put it to good use, I highly recommend Turtle Survival Alliance. Um, (laughs) Not just because it's a great charity and because they obviously do amazing work, but because 100% of your money is going to go to those little goobers and keeping them around. Right? Like these people are real turtle people. They're serious and they're here for the turtles. They're not here to like look cool or just work in a cool like place. They're here for the turtles. They'll drop everything to help save them. You know you're one of those people now, right? Yeah. <laughs> I I, I, I sense so that lucky. they thing, you know, and it's like, no, no, I you. Know. But I, I get it. I know you're you're still new, then you're still excited, and that's just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think very highly of these people. So I have two more questions for you. Okay. Number one is, what would your favorite species of non-turtle be? Oh, my favorite species of non-turtle. This is very hard. Um, my answer right now is the Florida grasshopper sparrow. Okay. And why, <laughs> that is really specific. Why, why the Florida grasshopper sparrow? <laughs> Um, The Florida grasshopper sparrow is very special to me because it's a very tiny brown bird that is super secretive and doesn't want anyone to know it's alive, but it still just wants to thrive and sing its song and flap its little brown and yellow wings. Um, I love them so much because I, I recently worked on their recovery project. I worked on it pretty for a pretty long time, almost a year and a half or two years and I just really got to know the bird and see all of the beautiful things about it and it's kind of just one of those hidden jewels in an ecosystem like nobody thinks about the ground running sparrow that is hiding its nest in a little clump of grass and (laughs) nobody thinks about that sparrow but it's an important part of the ecosystem 
without the little ground sparrows, like the Florida dry prairie would collapse and not be the same. So I think I love that animal because I really got to work with it and get to know it and become like an expert on finding them. And, but I also love the, the bigger idea of it, like the small little piece in that giant web that nobody notices, but is very important. (laughs) And once you like, once you take the moment to sit and look at it and watch it for a year and a half, like you see the whole galaxy that is that tiny sparrow, you know? So maybe I love the sparrow, but I love the idea that it represents as well. That's fair. I also just think you like um, small brown shy animals because right? you got the <laughs> sparrow, like you got McCord's box turtles. Yeah, I'm, I'm noticing a trend here. <laughs> no, the, very cool. Yeah. The um, hidden little piece yeah, of a bigger thing. Maybe that's what I love. <laughs> that's really cool. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, and then the last thing that I like to do before the poop story, of course, is um, just open the floor. Anyone, anything, any organization that you want to give a, a shout out to. I think we've covered TSA pretty well by this point, but um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I have so many things that I would love to give a shout out to. Um, I mean, I want to give a shout out to Cincinnati Zoo for giving me a start in this world and all of my mentors there have they've just like I don't even know they've given me so much encouragement they've lifted me up so high and without teachers like that to begin your career with I don't know I don't know what I would have done they're like a huge a huge reason why I'm here they just keep pushing me for the past five years like keep giving me love and encouragement and for someone like me that means so much you know to have people giving you that. So shout out to Cincinnati Zoo for having amazing keepers (laughs) that grow up. They grew me up from a little tiny sparrow to go and do this work that I'm really passionate about. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I don't even know. No, that's great. That that's absolutely, that's, that's lovely. Um, Very cool. And, and that means it's time. Rasafari poop story. Go ahead. Rasafari poop story. Um, well, I've worked on, I've worked with a lot of animals, so I've had a lot of animals poop on me. But uh, one really good one, I guess, is when I was working at the Georgia Sea Turtle Center, which is a sea turtle hospital as well as an all turtle native to the southeast hospital. And I had to get a 100-pound loggerhead out of a tank to come in to get a treatment in the treatment room. So I had to put on some waders, you know, where they're like overalls that are waterproof. Put on the overalls that are waterproof. Get in the tank. Wake up the turtle. Help lift it out. We lift it out. Me and another person are carrying it into the hospital, moving it onto the bed with my waders on. And... Then I go and take my waders off and get into, like, hospital mode. Anyway, when I go to take my waders off, I'm like, everything's fine. I'm fine. And then I go to the hospital table to help the vet tech. And she's like, oh, Kelly, you have turtle poop all over you. Like, you have to turn around and leave. You cannot help. And it's because when I was picking up the turtle out of the tank, it pooped 
into my waders. So it was all down my shirt, my shorts, and my legs. And I just didn't (laughs) notice because, you know, you're in water and you're like adrenaline trying to catch a turtle that could bite your arm off. And I just had no idea. I literally had no idea. And of course, sea turtle poop is like disgusting, especially one that eats fish and crabs is a carnivore. So I was disgusting. And she was like, please leave the hospital. Go change all of your clothes because I can't (laughs) smell you next to me. But um, I just didn't care because I was there. (laughs) I was there to get that turtle out and be strong. And (laughs) just those moments where you're so focused on your your task that you just don't even realize that a hundred pound animal poops all over your clothes. (laughs) Um, yeah, it was just funny because I had no idea that it happened. And everyone else was like, I can't stand next to you right now. You have to go. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Thank you so much for doing this interview. Of course. Thank you so much. It's been fun to talk to you. Of course. I I think that what you're doing is amazing. You're reaching out to people, like educating people, showing great connections and that's how that's how you reach people. That's how you tell people about conservation and how to help animals. And you're just like spreading the inspiration. And I love that. Well, thank you. That means a lot. It really does. Well, there you have it, folks. You can check out Kelly on Instagram at Kelly Swelly. And you can check out the Turtle Survival Alliance at Turtle Survival, and on the internet at turtlesurvival.org. Also, make sure you're tuned in starting next week as we're going to be doing something fun for the next couple of weeks. Rasafari around the world. We're going to be talking to people in all kinds of different countries about what they're doing to help animals. I've spoken to people in Canada, India, Panama, the UK. It's going to be a real treat. All right, hit that lick now, Cotton Top. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.